Hello, and welcome to the Ram Gad Pod. I am your host, Jason Economou, Government Affairs Director for the Realtors Association of Maui, and this is my podcast. I have a really great episode for you today. I know I say that every week, and honestly, I mean it every week, but man, season two is a real banger. Asia's interview was hugely popular, and that was fun, and today I got to sit and interview Rick Nava. He is the candidate for the Maui County Council for the West Maui seat. He is challenging Tamara Paulton, who is the incumbent in the West Maui seat. Now, Rick might sound familiar to you. He ran last time, and unfortunately, he, he, didn't, um, he didn't win that race, and he's running again. He might also be familiar because Rick Nava has been a just a prominent member of the West Maui community for a long time. And I don't mean prominent in the sense that he's like some guy that's all high makamaka. What I mean by, by prominent is he is a guy that has been involved. Ever since he, he was younger, he's been a big part of the Lahaina community. Uh, took some time off to, to go into the military, came back to Maui. And man, Rick's story is an inspiring one. This guy is, you know, he's the American dream. He's the Maui dream. He... He's impressive in a lot of ways, but my big takeaway from this interview wasn't his work with the police commission or the, you know, Rotary Club or West Maui Taxpayers Association or, or Chamber of Commerce. All that stuff is cool. My biggest takeaway from this interview was Rick Nava has a huge heart. I mean, this guy cares way more than I expected him to. He markets himself as the, the pro-business candidate. And I think that's true. Uh, he is very focused on the economy. He's focused on bringing the economy back to life in this post or, you know, not post-COVID, we're in it, in this COVID world. But, you know, my favorite things talking to Rick about were his involvement in just mentoring youths and education and really promoting education and travel amongst our young people, uh, his involvement with, with the Filipino community, and really trying to get people to recognize the importance of voting and being engaged. He's, he's just a really, really cool person, a uh, really impressive person. I'm happy that I had the opportunity to sit down with him for, for daggone near two hours uh, and we we did it via Zoom, so so we had the social distance. But this is really a nice, intimate conversation. We got to learn a lot about Rick's life. We got to hear a lot about his mom, who sounds like just one of the most incredible people. And uh, man, I was just I was just really pleased with the conversation that we had. And I feel privileged that I get to share with this audience um, Rick Nava. And I, I hope you guys all take an opportunity to listen to this. And I, I hope you come away, even if you don't agree with Rick's politics, even if you, you end up not voting for Rick in the general election, uh, I hope that you come away from this interview respecting Rick. Because, man, at the very least, Rick Nava deserves our respect for how involved he is and, and just genuinely how much he cares. So... With that, I'll let you uh, I'll let you listen to the interview. But beforehand, I want to just touch on one thing real quick, a couple things real quick. Let's let's be honest. I'm going to talk about a couple of things. 
First, it is time for dues billing. Uh, please, that's what keeps the lights on. If you are a member of RAM, please take the opportunity to pay your dues at your earliest convenience. We love working for you. The staff is devoted to your work and your dues allow us to provide the service that we provide. And, you know, a lot of times it's hard to, to articulate all the benefits that an association gets for you. But in this time during COVID, I feel like it's pretty clear. You know, we, we kept um, real estate because of the work that RAM does. It, it was recognized as an essential business just right at the early days of the pandemic. Um, we never slowed down with the education, the CE education that, that we have going for you guys. Um, we switched all of our, our meetings to digital almost right away. You know, there was no real break in action for from the day that the, the pandemic really hit us till now. We, we've been working in your dues and, you know, our our members volunteering and serving our association also keeps everything running. And so take some time, pay your dues if you can. Um, another thing I want you all to do, make sure you're registered to vote. It is super important. Uh, October 5th, I believe, is the, the deadline for voter registration. You can do it online. Go online, register to vote today. Make sure that your, your address is correct on your voter registration and exercise your civic duty. And finally, by way of exercising civic duty, um, did I mention the Planning Commission? Well, if I did, I'm sorry. If I didn't, let me mention the Planning Commission agenda for September 22nd, 2020 at 9 a.m. They are going to be discussing proposed changes to the BNB and STRH ordinances. Now, these changes, these proposals are coming from the planning department with the direction of the mayor's office. And most of the changes are pretty innocuous, but some of the changes will have a significant impact. You know, the thing that, that comes to mind immediately is the current ownership requirement for applying for a B&B or STRH permit is five years, and they, they want to push that to 15 years. That's a, a big difference that'll impact who can participate in that market and who can't. Uh, some of the other big differences uh, really relate to the ability to get a permit if you already have a permit. Uh, what I mean by that is if you have a B&B permit, it is, it, it'll cut off the opportunity for an STRH permit, I believe. And um, then it, there are also some changes in uh, trusts. Now, nobody with a current BNB or STRH permit is supposed to be impacted by these changes, but it would certainly impact everybody who's thinking about it. So if you have feelings on that, you should go ahead and check out that agenda for the Planning Commission. There are links to the report that was presented by the Planning Department. The legislation is pretty big. The file is like 28 pages if you if you click on the link, but the planning department gave a great summary as to what the changes to the bill are. So that'll help everybody understand it a little bit better. And now without further ado, I bring you Rick Nava. Rick, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hello everyone. Um, yeah, I'm Rick Nava, candidate for the um, West Maui County Council, Council, um, well, Maui County Council. Um, I'm a pro-business, pro-jobs, and you know, and I'm working into revitalizing um, our Maui visitor industry. Um, it is unprecedented times right now, as we all know. 
the county of Maui has the highest unemployment rate in the state of Hawaii. Um, a little brief history about myself. Um, in 1995 to 2000, I was the uh, police commissioner. Currently, um, as I serve as the, um, the chairman of the Maui Chamber of Commerce. Additionally, as a graduate of Lahaina Luna High School for over three decades, I have worked with the, um, with the West Maui County and participating effectively with the Rotary Club of Lahaina, the West Maui Taxpayers Association, as well as programs to feed the homeless, um, support the agriculture, amongst other many um, activities. I've also served proudly in the U.S. Army and the U.S. Army Reserve for over 29 years. And um, if elected as one of the Maui Council member, I am committed to working with the mayor and the other um, council members to help build a better Maui County. Um, been married for 40, what, 40 some years? <laughs> <laughs> um, two um, adult children and um, uh, three grandchildren. My son lives in Las Vegas and I have a daughter here. And my son right now, of course, because of the pandemic, unfortunately, is not working. Um, but so, again, just a, just a little bit more later about me. So, thank you. Yeah, I want to jump back quite a bit, if you don't mind, and get to know a little bit more about you. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? What, what sort of family values got instilled in you? Let's, yeah. let's go. Let's get to the root of who Rick Nava is. Yeah, thank you. Um, I was born in the Philippines. My grandfather moved to Hawaii back in the late 30s. My father moved here um, in the 60s, and then we followed on November 1970. Um, I moved here when I was 10 years old. I attended um, Camp Third School, went on to Lahaina Luna High School. While still in Lahaina Luna High School, um, I joined the U.S. Army. So of August wow. 1976, I, I was in the um, U.S. Army, traveled to Kentucky, and coming from Hawaii, it was like, whoa. 10 o'clock at night on the light, I mean, the sun's still up. This is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and what instilled the value in me is, that, of course, my, my, my parents. My dad was actually doing very, very well in the Philippines. But um, he knew that we will have a lot better future here in, in Hawaii. So from a very um, um, successful teacher, he was also um, a council member of our community, he came to Hawaii and his first job was a dishwasher at the Kanapali Beach Hotel. And then in 19, so that was, that was in the middle 60s. In 1970, my mom moved here. She was also doing very well. Um, and when she got here, she worked as a housekeeper at one of the hotels. Of course, coming from the Philippines, we didn't know exactly what was going on. All we know was that they have a job. We didn't know how difficult it is, what they were doing. And so, you know, we just kind of like went, you know, along with our, you know, being a kid, being a kid and just did our own little thing. Until one day I, I went with, um, with my mom to, to her workplace. And um, if I'm about to get emotional <laughs> because my mom passed away very young. Oh, and I sorry. saw her high school. Yeah. And so I said, wow, you know, I didn't realize how hard my mother is working. And then, and then I saw how my dad was also. And so I, I, from there, I was determined to, you know, to do better, of course, to also help out with my family. My, my mom passed away in um, 1975 um, when it was during the summer break, my, my, my junior year in high school. 
And so my dad and my mom wanted me to go to college because they thought I was very smart. And then of course I said, you know what? I, I want my three sisters to go to college instead of me. So I told my dad, I said, dad, save your money, send the, the three girls to college, I'm joining the army. So um, 16 years old, I, I signed my paper. My dad did not want to sign the, um, the document for me to join the military, but I did. And I'm glad he did because I, you know, I'm proud and I served for four years in the um, active and 25 years in the reserve. Um, it was basically my, my, again, my, my mom and my dad, because even in the Philippines, they were always very, um, very given. In fact, when I hear stories of that from my aunties and uncles, especially with my mom, what she used to do with my, my relatives, um, how she would help them. And um, she would basically give everything in the house for them because they had a lot less than we did. And I kind of like see that growing up. I kind of see the, um, how, how, um, you know, how caring my mom was and how supportive she is because um, to us, I have one brother and five sisters. There's seven of us. Wow. So, yeah, That's so a we had a family. Big family um, but like I said, my mom passed away when she was 42 years old. Um, thank God my, my dad is still around. He is 90 years old. Um, so, you know, we're a very close-knit family and, you know, it's the family, the Ohana, that really um, is very important to all of us. So, yeah. So did your family, I know your dad was opposed to you going into the military at 16, but did your family push the idea of military service at all? Or was this something that you came to on your own? I came to on my own. Um, it was, I, again, it was, um, it was my dad, just him alone, um, not having the money to, to send me to college. Well, I thought he didn't have the money, but I told him, save your money for the three girls, because I have three younger yeah. sisters. Yeah. You know, save your money, let them go to college. I can take care of myself. I'm going to go to join the military. So I did. Are you, are you happy with that decision now that you have the power oh, of hindsight? Happy. No, I, I have to tell you, as, as soon as I get to Kentucky, <laughs> you understand <laughs> Coming from coming from Maui, and suddenly I'm in Kentucky, and the, the the only thing I know about you know about Kentucky was being because I'm a basketball fan was the Kentucky Wildcats, you know. <laughs> That's it. So so here I am in Kentucky, and at 10 o'clock at night, and the sun is still up because this was August 20, 27 actually, because that's when I arrived there, and I'm going like, oh my God. And getting yelled at, getting screamed at. I mean, everything that I had to be online with everything. Oh, yeah. First chance I got to use the phone, I called my dad. I said, Dad, <laughs> um, can you find a way to get me out of here? <laughs> and he says, no, I'm not going to do that. That's what you wanted to do. You will have to stick by it. I said, I, I, don't, I don't like it here. Good luck. No, you're going to have to stay there. So I did. <laughs> I am. Um, I went to a military college, and I remember my first phone call back to my parents. We were we were about halfway through Hell Week, and uh, and the first thing they said to me was, "Are you having fun yet?" Just, <laughs> <laughs> that was all. No, it was crazy. It was crazy, and um, <laughs> I tell you, I'll show you another um, interesting story. In high school, actually, when here in Maui, I thought I was a very good basketball player. You know, so I go there, and I'm looking at these guys. And I was going like, oh no, this guy. <laughs> I was just like, we are nothing on Maui compared to what I'm about to, to deal with. It, it, was, it was crazy. And then I go to Indiana. Oh, um, wow. This is where I went to school for my, um, for my finance class. So I go to Indiana. We had a um, company basketball team. 
uh, my name my name on the back of my jersey was pineapple so they all called me pineapple that was my name and the first time um i was in the court um with a, a black guy it was the first time ever and i was in awe i was like oh my god i'd never played with i mean and this guy was good and so <laughs> so they go like Hey, Pineapple, what are you doing? You're just standing around there like nothing. I was going, oh, you guys don't understand. I've never played. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. You were just like, a, I mean, I mean, coming from Maui, not knowing anything. You have to understand that this is 1976. I mean, I was, I read a lot. I know, was, I know, I know what's happening and all of that, but to be physically there. Oh, yeah. Much different. And how people talk and all the, all the lingos, all the, oh, it, was, it was crazy. <laughs> I enjoyed it though. I can I can laugh about it now, but it was very, very it was a great experience actually. Do you think the culture shock was more intense for you coming as a child from the Philippines to Maui or for you leaving as a teenager from Maui going into the army? I think leaving as a teenager in the army, I'm going, you know, leaving Maui, going to that that was more, you know, a shock to me. Um this is why I tell um, kids that graduate from high school here, when I do the interview, I always tell them, get out of Maui. Mm. There's so much more out there. You know, you, we're so sheltered here. We do not know what's going on out there. We always can, you know, we, because we're safe. Yeah. There is yeah. no such thing as a bad neighborhood. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> and so, when, and that was the other thing is that, you know, I, I did not know, um, I'm so naive, basically. You know, I could be talking to, to this guy and then they would pull me on the side and they go, yeah, that guy's trying to take advantage of you. And I'm going like, oh, oh what do you mean? You know, and I was just like, oh, okay. It, it, it was, I can't, I can't explain it. All I know was that I'm, I'm very naive. I'm just kind of like, um, I respect, I mean, I believe everything that was being said to me, that yeah. they were not going to take advantage of me because I've never experienced that here in Hawaii. It was always like, oh, hi, Auntie, hi, Uncle, oh, yeah, you know, everybody knows everybody, everybody does something for somebody else without any, any, you know, payment or anything you do because it's the right thing to do. And that's not kind of like um, what I was seeing there. And then they were told, then I found out later on that some of the guys I was with, they didn't have a choice. You either go to the military or you're going to jail. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. You know, so, so I didn't know. All I, all I thought was that everybody was a nice guy. <laughs> so, so I learned, I learned, I learned, you know. So from, from Kentucky to Indiana to Korea and into Georgia in Atlanta, those are the places that I, um, I spent some time with while I was in the military. What was, your, what was your favorite post and favorite job? Well, I think it was, uh, not I think, I, I know it was in, um, in Atlanta, definitely. I, well, no, actually it was, this, well, I can say, actually Korea, I should say Korea. Yeah, Korea, because I was there very young. I left to go to Atlanta. As soon as I got to Atlanta, I requested to go back to Korea. Um, I, I think Korea was more, it was, um, it was a magical to, to be in, in um, absorbing their culture. Um, of course, again, this is in 1977. I didn't know what kimchi was. <laughs> <laughs> and, but um, I, I think what I enjoyed there the most was that um, the Koreans, they're also very, very, um, they're very friendly. You know, it was mm. so easy to get along with them. 
and it was really nice to to be there and in a foreign land getting to know so many things in fact what i used to do on on weekend is that i intentionally um get lost i just walked off post and catch on the bus that i can't read that what the sign says and then next thing i know i'm in the place where like boom, where am i <laughs> Which is kind of like what I like to do. And, and I would do that on, on, on weekends. I would actually go to some village and they would be talking to me. And of course, we can co communicate other than the smile. You know, that's yeah. to me is the, the um, you know, you know, just through smiles and it just opens up a, a whole bunch of doors. And next thing, and next thing I know, they're feeding me something that I have never seen. <laughs> I never got sick. I'm still alive. So I guess it was good. You know. <laughs> But it was it was great. I I enjoyed. So altogether, I spent twenty eight months in Korea. That's a pretty good stint. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I think your advice to young people to to leave where they're from, to leave Maui and go travel, is is probably the best advice they're going to get. If if we're being honest, I think travel builds empathy in a way that that no other experience really is capable of doing, because. You're so far out of your comfort zone, you're relying on the representations and oftentimes kindness of strangers. It requires you to relate to other people, observe what other folks are doing just to get by in whatever area you're in, uh, and reach out and, and ask for help. It, I don't think that you can duplicate a travel experience being from Maui, being on Maui. Yeah, you know it's impossible to get lost like you were able to get yeah. lost in Korea. You know it's almost impossible to find a stranger on Maui. If you're from Maui, you you're like one degree of separation from everybody else who's on Maui, and that's beautiful. That's a, a beautiful way to live. It's a beautiful way to grow up. But yeah, to teach you life experience, there's nothing quite like travel. Oh no, I I, I agree with you with that, and that's that's it. Every time I do an interview, I would tell that's exactly what I'll tell them. Traveling is the best education you can give yourself. Mm. Now the tricky part, open, though, is, you know, is coming back. Yeah. How, how did you come back? What What drew you back after being away for for you were away for a pretty substantial time? Yeah, you, you know it's 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 crazy because when I got out of the military, um, my wife and I we were in California, and my wife said to me, Rick, you know I really don't want to go back to Maui. Why don't you just stay here and and go to school here? Because I, I I was determined to go to school. Mm. So I said, you know, I, I would love to go back to Maui. I just want to spend some time with my dad. So we came back. So we're still here. <laughs> <laughs> it was supposed to be only for a month with my dad. And we, we were with my dad, with her parents. And then next thing, next thing I know, it's just like we're working. And then one thing leads to another. And like I said, we're, we're still here. And I guess this is my, my roots as always. But um. You know, but we we still do our best to to travel as much as, as as we can. But I always tell people is that, you know, even when I'm talking to to the kids that I talk to, is like you know, you just do not know how good we have it. You know, you're in the United States of America, you live in the state of Hawaii, in the most beautiful island in the world. We take all of that for granted. Now I want you to go somewhere where you do not see McDonald's, mm. and if you do see a McDonald's, please don't go eat at McDonald's. No. <laughs> You know, go do something else, you know, go and just get lost and just, you know, just get immersed to whatever it is that, you you know, you, you, you're in and just stop talking about Hawaii for a moment, you know, but, but wear the brightest Aloha shirt you can wear so they know you're from Hawaii. <laughs> you know? But that's kind of like my, my, 
my, you know, what I share to a lot of the people that I talk to. Yeah. You know, it's, it's also just such a blessing to be from here that, that wearing Aloha shirt uh, is such good advice because my, my wife is from here. And whenever we travel, once people, one of the first questions that you're going to get is like, oh, where are you from? And once she says Maui, and then they have to ask the question like, are you like from Maui or do you just live on Maui? And she's like, no, 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 no I'm from Maui. Then immediately people want to know more about no. you and they want to be your friend. It opens doors like nothing else. No. You know, yeah. and, and I love I love traveling on the mainland, especially for a conference or something, because you can always spot the Hawaii people because oh. you don't know how to dress for mainland weather anymore. <laughs> No, this it is so. No, you you are so so right about all of that. You, you know what's the craziest thing when they ask you where you're from and you say Hawaii, it's like oh okay. But when you see Maui, oh you're from Maui. There's a different yeah. expression. There's definitely a difference there. <laughs> you know? It's like Hawaii. Like, okay, you're in Hawaii, but Maui, you're from Maui. Oh well, what's it like to be on Maui? <laughs> but no, it's 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 great. It's um in fact um. One of my um, one of the members of the Rotary Club, she publishes those um, those books that they put in the, in, um, in the hotel rooms about Maui. Yeah. So I always ask her to give me five of those. So wherever I go, especially you know, I, I bring it with me. So when I meet a person, yeah, you know, I give them one of those books. And then of course, you know, if it's a kid, I give them the the, the book that I told you, The Alchemist. My mm. wife gets very upset with me because especially when we travel to the Philippines, you're only allowed fifty pounds, right? Yeah. And she like Rick you got more than 10 pounds alone on just books. <laughs> That's fine though. I love that. Those are the best gifts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people really love that. And yeah. I, I remember, so I, I lived for, for about four years in Uganda. Oh, and wow. they do not have a reading culture there. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's just, you know, we don't particularly have a reading culture here in America. So it's not a criticism. It's just more of an observation. But because they don't have that culture, it's almost more precious when you give somebody a book because yeah. there, there's something that's, that's more valued. I mean, part of the reason why they don't have a reading culture is because books are rare. And when they do get books, they treat them with such reverence a lot of times that they don't want to like read them and ruin them. They want to save them for, no. for later. Oh my God. My, Jason, my office right now, I have over a thousand books here. Jeez. I've been <laughs> shipped to the Philippines. But last year, I don't know if I shared this with you when we were in the Philippines where, um, you know, we, we, we went to this island with Daryl, myself, my wife, you know, Daryl Ng. Yeah. And we brought for them food, toys, clothes, and books. So when the kids were gathered around, you know, I mean, they're like K to sixth grade. When the kids were gathered around and instead of going for the toys and the clothes, the first thing, they gravitated to the books. Yeah. They look at these books and they were like, oh my God. I mean, and my wife and I were looking at them and they was like, okay, you know, we need to get them more books. We need to get them more books. And so unfortunately, when I have a very good relationship with my preparatory academy, so when they went all digital, they called me up and he goes, they're like, hey, Rick, you want to come take our books? We're like, oh, what's going on? We're like, we're going all digital. <laughs> sure, I'm going to come there. <laughs> I, eventually, I'll, I'll get it all boxed up and send it, ship it somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, there, you know, there are a few organizations where they'll like, um, I think you ship them to a location in the US and they fill a shipping container and then send it to locations overseas. I'll look for the links and, and I'll, I'll get them to you. We uh, worked with a group like that in Uganda. 
that's okay. I, I, I actually have um, a group that's, that's doing that for me directly oh, to the Philippines. So I've already picked the schools where it's going to. Um, I didn't do it only because of the, 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 the pandemic. Because, um, you know, when we do that, I, I want to be able to ship it to them. And then I want to go there and see the books being given to the library or to the kids and all of that. Because, you know, the last thing I need is that I don't know where the books went. <laughs> so, but yeah. So but no, is reading is definitely something, you know, that I, I, I um, am very passionate about. Trying to get my grandson to, to read more. Mm. That's the why to, I told you that he and I read The Alchemist together. <laughs> How old's your grandson? He's now eight, but we did this when he was six years old. You know, I um, my nephews, I got a, a five-year-old and a seven-year-old nephew, and they love these dog man books. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, like they just graphic novels. They can't yeah. put them down. And they're they're silly. They're silly books. They're, the kids are going to talk about them nonstop, and you're just going to hate that you have to hear about it, but it gets them reading. So no, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of anything that gets them reading. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. I'm, that's that's kind of like my whole my whole thing with with you know our kids here in, in in hawaii especially when i used to do a tutoring program for the third and fourth grade students and um, when i see a, a um a kid that is really doing so hard you know on, on trying to learn more english to get better and better and I, I see the effort they're putting to get better and then by the time they get done with the um, with the um, you know with the tutoring program at the end of the year you can see the change in them you can see the improvement you can see the confidence in how they speak and uh, you know and it's wonderful and this is when i give the the kids that book the alchemist is okay you can continue your reading just try to understand this you know because also one of the projects that um i actually started here back in 2003 is to provide a dictionary for every third grade students that's a great project so yeah it, it's a it's a wonderful project so we've been doing it every year since 2003. if you ever if, if you need more dictionaries you let me know when you're collecting them i'll tell all the realtors um, we, we like to give back, you know, where our, our community, that's one of the things I love about the realtor community. We're really good about giving back. So, so any opportunity that we can help you with that, please let me know. Oh, well, um, definitely. Thank you. Thank you. And, and that, that advice to, to get educated. I mean, it, I think a lot of kids, especially here on Maui and in, in Hawaii, don't get that advice to the same degree that they really should. Um, for, for you, you, you had to leave home, you know, you wanted to leave home, you wanted to get away. So you joined the army and joining the military is still an option for a lot of teenagers, but it's not an option that I recommend just because for most of the branches of the armed forces, I don't agree with the current mission, you know, like the coast guards mission I agree with, but the current mission that, that the other forces are on, I wouldn't want my kid involved in it. Um, and, and so with that, though, it takes away one of the rare avenues that a person that doesn't come from wealth has to see the world. Mm -hmm. And the only other option, if you don't have the military for a lot of kids, is education. You know, mm -hmm. that's, what, that's what I had to fall back on. You know, my parents, my dad could barely read English at all because he, he's an immigrant, too. He came uh, from Greece. And so, so he instilled in us, uh, if you want to get ahead, you got to get as smart as all these other kids. You got to get smarter than all these other kids because yeah. nothing's going to come easy to you. Everything's going to be harder because your parents don't have a name. You know, you, we don't have money. We don't have grandparents here. Like it, it's just you. And for so many young people, they don't get that advice. And especially I feel like I'm sometimes a little too critical of the education system, but honestly it deserves the criticism because a lot of kids in Hawaii are taught not to, not to question authority at all 
not to, to think outside of the box at all. It's, you know, do this worksheet, only this worksheet. You do any more, you're wrong. You do any less, you're dumb and you're not going to succeed. And it's just a bad message. And, um, you know, I, I think having prominent figures like yourself in the community um, who are talking directly to these kids, telling them, no, you can do this. You can read on your own. You can get smart on your own. They need it. Oh, did you, you know, you mentioned something about the, the, the teachers. Um, and I've shared something with the teachers here on Maui, but it really resonates to the teachers in, in the Philippines. When I told them, because the way the technology is today, I can tell you that these kids are very smart. Yeah. You, as the adult, all you need to do is tell them what must be done and hold them accountable. You don't even need to look at them and just kind of like keep pounding on them, keep pounding on them. You don't need to babysit these kids because they're, they're, they know what's going on. Sometimes they're doing it only for the, in spite of this, just to kind of like make fun of their teachers because they think, you know, they're so much better than them, but that's just kind of like how it is right now with these kids. So with that mentality, I'm sorry to keep sharing this with you because this is something that I, um, that's something that just happened about three years ago. We were at the school, Jason, 9,000 students, right? They only have um, water until about 10 o'clock in the morning. So we're talking, we're talking to them about the budget of the school. Mm. So we, we said to them about the electricity and we were talking to them about electricity. So we told the teacher, says, you know, do you have a science group here? And she says, yes. Says, so why don't you do this? Why don't you give a project to your students um, to do the electrical grid of the school and come up with a way to provide you guys with, you know, with power. And the teacher looked at us and he goes like, just like, well, what do you mean? I said, <laughs> students as your resource. You got 9,000 students here. I am sure you take the cream of the crop. I am sure they're going to love to do it. Yeah. You know what happened, Jason? In, in three months, the engineer at that school emailed me and then they came up with the grid and all that. They were figuring out what to do. And now they were saving $2,000 a month in electricity. Wow. That's massive. Yeah. So, so because I don't know if you know this gentleman named Lyman Morikawa, he's an electrical engineer. No. Here in Maui. Anyway, he was with us because this guy's, this guy's genius. So he's telling them all about what's going on, this, this, and this. And like, you know, you, get, you guys might not know it, but I can tell you some of these kids know about it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the message I want to, to continue to, to bring to, to our, our youth here because we need to basically just empower them not to continue to, you got to do this. You got to do this. They, you know, I, I have a friend that basically said, you know, Rick, I know my son is not dumb, but he's to a point right now where he's not learning anything to a point that he doesn't want to go to school yeah. because he thinks he's getting bored out there. They need to do it so that, because every student these days, they, you know, it's something different than their, 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 what you call, their focus or where they are motivated to do something. You know, and, and so I said, I don't know exactly what, how the Department of Education works with this, but one of the things that's quite upsetting to me is that we promote a lot about technology, we promote business, we promote tourism industry, we promote, you know, everything that we feel is where our kids should be going to. Yeah. But not speaks about agriculture, you know? So I, I saw, I've been getting involved with this since three years ago. And I said to them, why is it that the kids who, um, who want to compete in the future farmers of America must do their own fundraiser to, to get to, even to, a, to, the, to a level to, to make a presentation or to travel? You know, there, shouldn't it be that you know, the Department of Education or something? Yeah. I'm not really sure 
clubs it's, work. It's just it's as important as a football team. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's my point. Everything there, exactly. See, I, and so this is something that I've been dealing with, playing how to, be, how to best do it, because especially up at Lahaina Luna High School, where they have a very good um, agriculture program. Years ago, because I know the guy that was in charge of it, I shared to them, I was like, I don't understand this. You have all this land where you can grow your vegetables, have the vegetables be served at the cafeteria. Why can't you do that? Oh, it, it has to go to the Department of Education. I'm like, yeah, I understand that. But I mean, come on, you can grow cabbage, your Department of Education, you can just tell them, you know what, hold on to your cabbage, go donate it to Maui Food Bank. We have our own cabbage here. Yeah. You, it makes sense, right? <laughs> we've, we've missed out on so many opportunities. I, you know, we're still missing out on opportunities to, to make those changes. Now, you know, now is not a great time to make those changes because the students aren't at school. You know, <laughs> so it's, it's not ideal to, to teach agriculture in that way. But, you know, one of the things that I, I love about the students being sort of half in the classroom now and half at home is that a lot of them are getting to spend a lot more time outside. And like my nephews, you know, their mom is a, is a farmer and she's got a nice big garden. And those kids are spending just as much time, if not more time outside in the garden than they are in front of the screen. And I think in the long term, that's going to be hugely beneficial for them. Like, you know, I think kids might fall back in school a little bit um, based on, you know, what their, their goals are supposed to be with whatever worksheets they're working on. But man, it's great that we're not teaching them that they have to be penned up inside, sitting at a desk, you know, eyes forward at all times. That's not, that's not how success is made. Yeah. No, you're right. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot to be said about being outdoor interaction with other people. Um, have you heard of the Napiri Community Gardens? Yeah. Okay. So in a way, I've been going there talking to, to, to the German that's in charge of that place. So one of the things that I shared with him is that, is, you know, it would be wonderful that one of these days we could work it out so that your garden could be, uh, could be used to educate some of our kids. Because I, I can tell you this, some kids don't even know how a papaya, looks, papaya tree looks like because it just comes from the grocery store. That's it, you know. But can you imagine to have all of this, the, the breadfruit, the, you know, the dragon fruit and have, and have it all labeled so at least they know what an eggplant looks like and all of this and maybe even have them dig a hole. I mean, these are the kind of things that I think, you know, between, between um, you know, between this garden and the Department of Education or what they can do, even, even not necessarily the Department of Education, even with some youth program, just to see, just to see this. I think that would, that would be, that would be, um, that would be huge. So, well, but again, of course, thanks to the pandemic, we can't really do much of anything right now. So that's yeah. kind of like all in the back burner. <laughs> Now, for you, it is very clear that, that you are interested in helping people and, and basically just improving the community. Yes. Where did that come from? You know, that, that often doesn't necessarily show up in people who might have moved around a lot when they were younger or, or didn't have roots in, in one place specifically. But, but you very clearly, you know, it didn't affect you like that. So where did that come from, Rick? Well, again, like I said, I, I, I believe it was with my mother being that we were a little bit, we're not doing very well. We, you know, mind you, my, you know, we were, yeah, we were seeing dollars in the Philippines because my father was here in, in Hawaii. But of course, because it was dollar, we didn't know how, that how hard he was working to have yeah. this dollar. Um, this highly educated man works as a dishwasher in the morning and then as a busboy in the evening and then send this money. And so when we have this money, 
it wasn't all for us. My my mom was able to still share it with you know the people around us. We didn't we didn't complain because like you know like I always believe, um, you do not know you are poor. You know, um, yeah. Someone point out to you that you're poor. <laughs> <laughs> you know? and so we thought we were all the same, but my mom know that we had a lot more than the the others, and so of course even when even when when I was um. When I was I mean, in high school, I was actually, I guess I was kind of like the leader of the Filipino, Filipino boys. So they all kind of like look up to me when a, an immigrant Filipino would come in, arrive from the Philippines. I was always the person to, to kind of like take them on the wing and just show them around and just have a un, better understanding of what's happening in the, in the community. So I was always that person. The same thing when I was in the military, even though I wasn't the highest ranking, I guess my, my ability to talk to people. And I always tell that because of the Aloha spirit, it is so much easier to open a door with that smile as opposed to kind of like, you know, you can't open the door with just always asking for something, yeah. but you can open, you can open the door by, you know, by just being yourself that you want to be a friend. And so, and, and be able to, to help. And that's kind of like how I did. And of course, when, um, when, when we first had our son, when we had our son, it made it even more, um, it, it hit me even more that, what I'm seeing in the community, I can make a difference because whatever difference I am doing to help the community will also affect my son growing up. Yeah. So, you know, so that's when I started um, playing. I mean, that, because I love basketball, I thought the best way for me to get my son involved with me as I make a difference is through basketball. So then I started coaching little kids. And then from there, it leads to one thing to another. And, and, and so then um, it was crazy because um, then I realized that I could get the kids off the street by just playing basketball. So I created a basketball league to get all these kids off the street to play basketball and to a point that um, at that time Mayor Olingo actually gave me the key to the Lahaina Civic Center because there was only one place to play basketball. It was at the 505 Front Street, Mololi Park. And so I pushed for the county to put a, um, a um, light at the basketball court by Aquatic Center. So they, they, I got that, and so I, I created this basketball to, to, to get kids, and it became an adult thing as well. So it got bigger and bigger, until one day I got a call from Magic Johnson and said, "Hey Rick, um, <laughs> I heard that you have the key to the Lahaina Civic Center." So I said, "Yes." I said, "Well, can you put a team together and um, and we can play a, a game to benefit the you know boys and girls club?" So I said, "Sure." I'll never forget. This was on the Thursday right after my Rotary meeting. I hang up the phone. And I said, "Hey, guess who just called?" He was like, "Who?" This guy named Magic Johnson. He's like, yeah, oh right, Magic God. Johnson. Give me a call. <laughs> I, like, yeah. I didn't pay attention to it. And so Monday he calls me up. He goes like, hey, Rick, you got the team together. I go like, oh, yeah, yeah, the team is so sick. <laughs> <laughs> so I come around. I call all my friends. <laughs> so we put a team together. Um, I, I don't know if you know Todd Ricard. He's the current coach of um, Lahaina Luna High School. Um, the Kyrie coach of Maui High School, Stephen uh, Vega. Because I used to, I used to coach all of these guys. I used to put a team together. Yeah. <laughs> it was the craziest thing. I don't know if you know. Um, we played against Mark Aguirre. I don't know how much you follow the NBA. A little uh, bit, yeah. I know that name. <laughs> Mark Aguirre with DePaul, Kirk Rambis, and of course Magic Johnson, Larry Drew, and all these guys. So it, it was, it was crazy. So I said to the guys, like, like, a couple of things when we're out there at the court, leave your camera on the bench. <laughs> yeah. Do not ask Magic Johnson for his autograph when you're guarding him. 
Though, if you have a picture with Magic Johnson, that should be your campaign photo. That should be on every you know piece of campaign material. But you know what? I don't. It's a, when, we, when we took the group shot, when you took the group shot, I had to run outside oh. because there was some problem with the traffic. So I ended up directing traffic. <laughs> I, got like, I got a picture of everybody else except with, with, the, with the group, with the team picture with Magic Johnson. So I got like, Rick, what happened to you here? You're the coach. Where were you? I was directing traffic. <laughs> so, so, so that was my, my, my whole thing. And then, and then, um, so in 1993, when, because they see me what was going on, they, that's when they asked me to join the Rotary Club. And I'll never forget the first project that they wanted to do was to, to clean the graffiti in Lahaina. Mm. So I said, you know what? I said, if we adults just go out there and clean it up, I don't think it's going to be as effective as if we get the kids involved in cleaning it up. So I said, can I take a lead on this and allow me to clean it up um, with my kids because they'll probably are the one that's doing it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I got my basketball kids to clean up the graffiti. And you know what? <laughs> After that, no graffiti. <laughs> they probably had friends that were yeah. doing it. And they they're probably, hey, 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 we're going to end up cleaning that. So, so it, it, it stopped. And that's what I always tell people. Now, if you got an organization with kids involved and you want to do something positive for the community, get the kids involved. Show yeah. them, um, you know, responsibility and get the kids, one of their kids, their friends to be the leader, to take on the project. Not you. Just tell them, hey, all right, guys, you know, here's what we need. We need to get this thing um, painted. We need to get this thing fixed. Okay, tell me what we got to do to get it fixed. Instead of, okay, we need to do this. We need to do this. Ah, let them do because they know what's going on. Make them resourceful. And, and from there, it just kind of like, I realized that, hey, you know, just getting other people, not me doing all the work to participate. In, in solving the challenges that we have to deal with. Um, I, I think it's a lot better than me saying to them, I said, okay, here's what we need to do. Um, instead of, okay, here's the challenge that we have. You know, I have something in my mind of what I want to do, you know, but there could be something else that's better. This is, you know, what do you think about the best way to, to get this thing done? And even in the military, it's always my, you know, granted, I'll probably have the final say to, to whatever the decision that we make. But I feel that you have a lot more cooperation if somehow there is an input collectively as a group, knowing that this is the mission. What do we need to do to accomplish this mission? Absolutely. Knowing, you know, and you build, that's how you build your leadership structure. Too. Exactly. My goal, when I told Mike, my employees, my goal is to, so that um, as your, um, um, as the owner of the company, my goal is not to come to work to the office. And in order for me to do that, <laughs> I want you guys to know everything that I'm doing. I want you guys to, to tell me what you guys know and share with me what you guys know. And, and hopefully you will enjoy what you're doing because it's what's your idea anyway. <laughs> yeah. If your, team, if your team is reliant on one individual, uh -huh, even uh -huh. if that individual is the boss and they, you know, they have yeah. the, the job title. If you are reliant on one individual, your team is failing. Yeah. Absolutely. So, and that's, kind of, that's what I, that's what I, to, I told them. I, I said to, to my, my, I told this to my wife, everybody that I know of, I said, look, I'll be honest with you guys. I said, I trust my employees. I trust them so much that three of my employees are paid higher than I am. Oh, wow. The reason why I'm paying them more than I am is because they are the company. They're the ones that's out there taking photos. And you know what? Also, because they're getting paid a lot more than I am, I'm able to do the things that I want to do that I can really put a value to it. Because I'll tell you again, 
is that if they were to quit the company, I will have to hire someone that I might end up paying than that person that just quit, that I probably don't know yet if I can trust that person or not. So why would I want to take the chance to bring yeah. in another person when I already have three employees that I have all, that I, I trust and they respect me and they know that I can I know that I can send them out there and I can sleep at night knowingly that they did the best that they can. So you know that's kind of like my my whole thing. I've always believed in empowering others to do the the things that you know that maybe I could be doing. But hey, why can't I? Why can't they be the one doing it? And just yeah. as long as some as long as they know that um, they still I, I'm holding them accountable. But I believe what is more important than they themselves hold themselves accountable. And to me, that 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 is very important moving forward with everything that I do, I do in life. So, you know, that's kind of like the mantra that, that I, I like to, to think of is that, you know, I set myself in a very high standard and I expect that you know, with the people that I am surrounded with, but we also understand that, you know, along the way, we may make a bad decision. We, you know, we will do something, something right. And this is when we hold each other accountable. And I believe it's, um, you know, it's, um, it's a character that, you know, we should all have. Absolutely. Um, I want to I want to switch gears just slightly, and I want to ask you about your perspective as a I guess a prominent member of the Filipino community. You know, uh -huh. you've been here since the '70s, and Correct. and you've you've seen how the community was treated and represented in local government mm -hmm. then, and and now you yourself are are seeking office to represent all people of Maui, all people of West Maui, uh, but in particular, you are it's it's a part of your identity that you're also a member of the Filipino community. So. Do you think it's, it's um, what do you think of the representation of your community in the broader Maui community? You know, um, the Filipino community, I, I wish that we could be more involved in, you know, with a lot of the mainstream group that in, are involved that are always doing something to, to help out within the community. We have our own Filipino organization that helps as well, but you know, there are more that I believe that, that we, could, we could do. For instance, whenever I try to, um, you know, to invite someone to join me with the Rotary Club, I, I could never get one. You know? they, of course, they always say that they're busy. Mm. Uh, so and I understand the the other thing, of course, is that um, we have a community that that are times um, I think is splintered, and this is that this is very difficult. I, I think part of the reason for that is that you know there's so many different regions in the Philippines, so many different dialects, and so many you know though we're all Filipinos, there's certain things that are you know culture in a manner that this group of Filipinos would do this or, or things in that, in that regards. And then it was kind of like, even for me, um, trying to understand, trying to educate myself whenever I go to, to, to the Philippines. But I, I truly believe that, um, you know, that we, the Filipinos need to, to, to dig in deeper to the issues at hand that are affecting the entire, you know, um, country of Maui, the state of Hawaii. Um, I still have a um, challenge in that because of how it is in the Philippines with politics being it is so ugly. I mean, you yeah. know, they say politics is ugly. Well, you know what? Um, I, I don't believe it because this is, this is, you know, it is part of, you know, it's a part of um, our life, our society. This is how we do it. And that's why you do your best to study your, your you know, the people that you will be electing and hold them accountable. And that to me is important. But their experience in the Philippines is, is, is not the same. You know, there's, there's saying that politicians that basically 
because it's such a poor place that they give money to these people for their vote. Yeah. And then they forget the rest of the people. And so this is a white vote. It doesn't make any difference. But I said, no, you need to vote. You know, it is your voice. This is how you can make a difference. But I am only one. No, you are more than just one. Can you imagine if one, 1,000 people said, oh, I'm only one. That's already 1,000 right there. You yeah. can't. You can't, you can't say that because someone is listening to you and then that person is gonna say the same thing and then that person is gonna say the same thing and it carries on. But when you say, let's go out there and vote because we can make a difference. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, just go out there and vote, educate yourself. I mean, that, that's the message I'm telling them. It's like, look, if you don't like me, it's fine, but I want you to participate in this process. It says, other countries, people put their lives that's, you know, in danger for them to go to vote. We, yeah. on the other hand, says like, yeah, it doesn't matter. I'm not gonna change. It's not gonna change. Those guys only take care of their friends. I say, it's not true. How could you say that when, when I'm asking you certain questions and you don't even know what's happening? See, yeah. and this is the challenge right now. And, and not just in the Filipino community, I think as a whole, um, we do not get involved in the whole process until election time. So we don't know what's happening all through, and then suddenly election is here, and then they go like, oh, what's going on you know there was a guy that made a comment in my facebook and said hey i only see this guy during election what's wrong with this guy because <laughs> right? so he's not paying attention you know exactly i had to respond to him about you know all the things that i'm doing granted this is all on on, on west maui but you know i'm the you know i'm the, the current chairman of the board of the maui chamber of commerce and so I, and he goes like Oh, 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 sorry, I didn't know that. And so I get a message that they on the other side. And I was like, this is the problem, Rick. You know, we here do not get involved. And he said, first of all, Hawaii's got the lowest voter turnout, right? Mm. And then Maui has the lowest voter turnout in the entire state of Hawaii. And then Lahaina has got the lowest voter turnout in the entire Maui County. So, and, 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 then, and then you have people that still do not know the difference between the federal, you know, law, the state law, and the county laws. <laughs> It and it's all this education process that I am, you know, you can only share so much in such a short period of time. It is very frustrating for me to, to hear this in my Filipino community. But, you know, as frustrating as it is, I take it as a challenge to continue to, to educate them that, no, you can't do that. You need to be a part of the United States of America. And you're only, you know, the, the only thing that, you know, we ask of you to do is to vote. That's it. Just vote. Well, I don't know who the, I said, man, you have all this you know, time to, to, to research, to find out who these people are. I mean, that's the reason why, you know, they have the phone number, they have the website, you, you can talk to these people. And here's the other thing about we in the Filipino communities that we have this tendency to, you know, to kind of like in the, um, I guess, kind of like a shy, they don't want to approach, you, know, they, you don't want to approach a person because they're a higher ranking than you in mm. this kind of mentality. Um, so I don't know if you noticed that, but that's kind of like, a, um, so that's a, a big challenge. So that's why when I'm talking to Filipinos, a lot of times I would talk to them in my own dialect so that they can see that I am Filipino. I don't want them to think like, oh, you want me to give you a maka maka but I, 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 I love the fact that um, I am very in tune, you know, with still with my, my Filipino heritage, my culture, but at the same token, it is important that we focus right here what is happening here in the Maui County and how we collectively can, you know, can make a difference for the betterment of all.
pollution is still Hawaii. Yeah. You know, I think one of the important things that people need to, to look at is if you, what you're describing is super common in pretty much every minority group, every disenfranchised group, this belief that, you know, nobody's listening to us anyway, our vote doesn't count, it's all rigged, the system's yeah. against us. But ask yourself and, and ask them the question, okay, who's got it best in America? Who's got it best right now? And they're probably going to say older white people. Well, guess who votes the most? Who has the highest voter turnout? It's older white people. In, in you know, and I'm not going to, I'm going to shift away from Maui politics and go to national politics and just saying that, you know, the political parties tended to pander to older white people based on demographics because they show up to vote and there were more older white people in America. Historically, that's the way that it's gone. And now they're shifting who they pander to because of shifts in demographics. So, you know, now it's, it's less wealthy white people that one party might be pandering to and, you know, ethnic minorities that, that another, you know, whatever it is, um, people go where the votes are. The politicians and the policy is always going to go where the votes are because deep down, it really is a popularity contest. I mean, mm -hmm. some of it comes down to how good your lawyers are or, you know, who you can hire to advocate on your behalf, but it really is just a popularity contest. So I, I, I hope that you are, are able to get the Filipino community, but really the whole community to recognize that things will change if they just vote. It's really that simple. That's the secret that, that the, the folks who have been running things forever don't want you to know. If you exercise your voice, it'll make a difference. So that's why the big uh, narrative is, oh, your voice doesn't count. Your vote doesn't count. Don't worry about it. You know, it, you only see these people every four years. You can't trust them. Or yeah, you only so see them every two years. You can't trust them. That's, that's just social media business yeah. that, that, that uh, convinces you that Rick Nava only exists when, when uh, there's an election. That's... Uh, I see that's that's no you're so right about that and that's why I, I I you know I've always tell I tell people your vote is your voice be heard and you know I also walk around even when I go to Costco I, I have a name tag actually that has mm. my name Rick Nava and and as I told people if elected as a council member I am going to wear that name tag I want people to stop me and, and tell me because I'm working for them yeah I want to hear from them I, it's just like it, it's it's crazy that you know you you can't sometimes you can't even reach out to these people. I, I know one particular person that the voicemail is full. It's just like, dude, how am I supposed to? You know, you're supposed to be representing everyone. How can we talk to you when you can't even we can't even call you? Yeah, and every time that that a candidate or a council member ends up stopping and talking to one of our members, I end up hearing about it mm -hmm. because that person who was able to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the candidate or the council member, they go to their friends and they yeah. say, you know what? I, I was chatting with Yukile earlier and she's just so nice. Or, oh, you know, I ran into Rick Nava at Costco and he spent 20 minutes talking to me about the dog park and my concerns <laughs> about the dog park. And that resonates with people. You know, then you got, you got a fan for life who is always going to tell people about that time Rick Nava showed up with his name tag and took the time to spend, you know, and talk with. No, I agree, Jason. It's, I, I, and you know what? I truly enjoy that, those conversations because um, you know, they have a better feel for what's going on around them, the pulse of the community. I, I, can, no, I know what's going on also, but when you hear it from another person, yeah, what's going on, it's great. You know, so, something, again, something that just happened is just um i wasn't even thinking much of it i i know it but it, but you know so one of those things that is like you you're reading a book about you know self-help book you know it you know how to do it but it just 
goes over your head, right? Until you read it again in the book. It's like, oh yeah, I'm doing that. But you know, you said something about about you know talking to people because um, the issue with the with the homelessness here in in in, um, in Lahaina. I mean, of course, it's a big challenge throughout the um, throughout the state. But particularly and in so, Lahaina, yeah. You know, I, and I, I I met um, a guy while we were picking vegetables. Um, this guy named Steve Calkins. He's with the Hungry Homeless Heroes. And one of the things that basically I, I learned from just talking to him is that, and I know this, but I didn't even think of it, is that, you know, Rick, it, it goes a very long way that when we're talking to those guys on Front Street, that we call them by their first name. Yeah. Instead of, hey, you know, because then that way, you know, you will give them the sense of um, being, you know, you're making them, you're humanizing them. Yeah. And you know what? I can understand the compassion and, and being the empathy and all of that, but just calling them with the first name that carries a lot of weight. And I went like, "Oh my God!" You know, it is so true because my wife always tells me, "Could you stop calling me, you know, my wife?" Just <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I was going like, "But it is those little things, you know." And then trying to get everybody um, involved and just just. Taking the time to talk to people makes a big, big difference, you know, especially to the older Filipinos. When they hear me speak in Ilocano, I just see them let up their smile because, you know, because like, and I'm really honored and I'm so proud because they're proud of me being the Filipino that I'm willing to step up to the plate and, you know, and help in the, within our Filipino community, outside the Filipino community and, and represent our Filipino community as a whole. And I, I said to them, look, you know, it's, it's, it's um, something that I believe um, it's um, that I um, that I believe I could make a difference, but you know it's because um, it's because of people like you. I want to be your voice there, but in order for me to be the voice, you need to help me. You need to help me. I can be your voice, but in, for that voice to happen, you need to vote. So please vote. And yeah. so that's kind of like the message that I've been you know be heard, you know be accounted, you know, and that's kind of like the message that I have been sharing. To, to people, not just the Filipino community, because I have a lot of local friends who's also in the same boat. That can ah, bro, I don't make I don't make difference. <laughs> like, don't say that, you know. But it, it's it's very um, it, it's it's I'm always say I should say it's very frustrating because we have never really I guess kind of like um I think it's because a lot of it because they feel like they don't they don't nobody talk to them anyway. Yeah. You guys only come around every two years, every four years. You guys don't talk to us. I think yeah. it takes a few, at least a few generations. Yeah. Yeah. Before you're really integrated to the point where people recognize like, oh, we have to talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. How, how are you on time, Rick? Do, do oh, I no, have I'm you good. for a while? I'm, I'm good. Oh, okay, I'm good. I'm, I'm loving it. I, I want to talk a little bit more. You, you mentioned the, the homeless issue in Lahaina, and, and that's sort of indicative of just broader economic concerns. And, and earlier you mentioned like the unemployment um, because of the pandemic. You're, you're a pro-business candidate. You're, you're an economy guy. Um, what do you see as, as a means to getting Maui to prosperity? Uh, economic prosperity, social prosperity for for as many folks here as possible. You know, my as I mentioned earlier, the small businesses definitely is our economic engine. The visitor industry, of course, is the fuel that will move this economic engine. So those are the two that we really need to be looking at. 
people are talking about diversification, diversifying our economy and all of that, but I don't think this is a good time right now. I mean, in the back of our head, that's something that we want to do, but without those two, without that foundation, it will be very, very difficult. Um, and, and so that's kind of like my focus right now is that we need to get them back to coming to the island. You know, I mean, if we just kind of continue to just hunker down like it seems like it's going to be, um, you know, it would be make it even that much harder. I, I read somewhere that the longer it takes for us to reopen our economy, the longer for us to, you know, to, to bounce back and um, to get back to, you know, to the norm. Well, we do not know what the normal will be, you know, like even when, after we have the vaccine, it's going to be difficult. But, you know, one of the things um, that I've always said to myself is that in everything that we do, there is a risk. I'm not talking about, you know, putting people at risk, collateral damages or, or anything like that. But I truly believe that if we do the best in everything that we've been told that we need to do with the mask, the social distancing, making sure we're, you know, being hygienic and, and doing everything, just be mindful of our surroundings. I, I believe we can, we can start opening our economy again. I mean, like I tell my friends, like, look, when you try to go to work in the morning, you know, there is a chance that you could get into an accident, but you do your very best not to get to that accident. You know, yeah. you, you'll be awake, you'll be alert, you put on your seatbelt, and you don't go driving in and out of the road. <laughs> well, it's not just that. It's a fact of life that you yeah. can do everything right and still end up failing or end up getting hurt or end up getting sick, even if you did everything right. And even right. if those around you did everything right, there's mm -hmm. still always that, that possibility of, of bad things happening. Yeah. The, the, you can't mitigate all risk entirely. True, true. And, and so, you know, and so it's like, you know, we need to, we need to do something about our economy now, much sooner than later, because without that, you know, yes, people are getting, you know, their unemployment, that, that, that's nothing, you know, people are happy because there's no, supposedly there's no traffic. Well, you know, pretty soon there's no traffic because you can't afford to pay for gas. Yeah. Now, that, that's, that's, you know, the, the reality is that people need to start coming back to the island slowly. And hope, you know, all the businesses, they know what they need to do. They're not going to put themselves at risk. They're not going to put their employees at risk. But there will be an accountability for, for everyone, including our visitor. And, and so, you know, and I'm not sure exactly who the, our state is. I mean, again, this opening it up, of course, will be dependent on the governor and the mayor. I don't know who they're talking to about, you know, we've spoken to a few businesses and we need to do this, we need to do that. And then of course, nothing happens. And, and so this is where the people are, are getting very, very frustrated with, with what, 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 they're, what they're hearing. And, and so, you know, I said, look, not necessarily they open up all at one time, but we need to bring something back to this island so that people could start getting back to, to somewhat of a normal life slowly but surely and again with the the way it is right now it would be difficult with with everything as it stands economically um because it will be a while even if we open our door it'll probably be a while before visitors really start to to come in to hawaii anyway you know do you get, do you get pushback with with that message when when you're talking to folks um at times, again, because you know everybody know it's it's very dangerous, you know the um the um the, the virus. But as I said again, it's like 
Yes, we, we all know that. Mm. But we've also been able to prove the fact that if we if we did all of this that we've been told to do, that we could actually, you know, mitigate this, the spread of this virus. But to just say, you know, it, it, it just say that we're just going to stay at home. You know, we don't, we don't want to yeah. deal with anything else. It, it, it's not going to get better. I it's not going to get better. I think what you're telling people, um, it, it's valuable, but it's a hard pill to swallow. No, it is. It is. I think if you don't mind me, I'm going to paraphrase what I, what I think I'm hearing from you. It's that economic diversification is certainly a good goal, but it's a long-term goal because the amount of money that you have to put into the overhead and infrastructure for these new businesses, these diverse mm -hmm. business ventures, is not currently available. That right. like we can't build that immediately and just suddenly jumpstart a new economy. We have to, to have that as a long-term goal and do something to get us the revenue and, um, and I guess flow of commerce that would, would allow us to diversify. Because I, I think what a lot of people hear, they hear these plans for economic diversification. And oftentimes the plan is, oh, we're gonna diversify through ag. And then you say, okay, that sounds good. What do you mean by that? And inevitably, the first thing they say is agritourism, which is just tourism. It, it is, it's still tourism. It's just agricultural tourism. So you still want to bring back tourism, which is the economic driver that Rick Nav is talking about, except instead of keeping them at resorts where they're getting tested and they're being geo-tracked and stuff like that, and instead of keeping them you know, in Lahaina where they're going to get ice cream and, and supporting other local businesses on Front Street, uh, you want them to go to a farm where mm -hmm. they're gonna spend less money and they're still gonna be tourists, and, and they're, they're going to be out in, in our agricultural districts taking rental cars there. Like, it, it's a red herring, I think. Yep. A lot of the folks who are talking about diversification are really just talking about agritourism, which is still tourism. And they're, they're getting away with it because they're able to, to beat up on, on the Rick Navas of the world who are saying, well, why don't we just make the current businesses that we have viable for this new world instead of trying to dream up entirely new businesses for this new world? <laughs> yeah. It's, no, it's a tough message, man. It, it is a tough message. You know, the, the agriculture part, and this is why I've been talking to several friends who are farmers and visiting other farmers, because as I, th I told the guys when they're talking about farming, it says, you know, be careful with that because your biggest consumer with our local farmers are actually the visitors. Mm. Without the visitors, what is going to happen to the produce? Yeah. Okay. Um, now, you, 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 you want, you want, our farmers to you want to be able to to buy buy locally. What a great concept! We want to do that, but if you are having a hard time with your money as it is, you're doing a budget. Your local farmer is going to sell you something as much as you want to support your friend who's a local farmer. But when you see the same you know fruit in Costco for a dollar less, now who is your you know? Who do you want to support? You're not really supporting um, Costco in a way. You're supporting your family for that $1 saving so you can buy something else. Because yeah, you want to support your friend because he's a farmer, but what about your family? So we need to look at all the, the angle. I mean, the, the concept is it's great. I, I love it. But when push comes to shove, your family comes first. The local farmer, you know, is your friend. You want to support that as well. But the way it is right now, when you do not have that job, 
that allows you to to kind of like have that um, additional money perhaps you're you're cutting you know mm. you're really tight on your budget and you want to save something so so my my thinking with with the, the farmer and this is what i told um freddie over at the napili farm is that you know what i really would love to see is that instead of just farmers market i'd love to see people go to uhmc who see what's happening with the um, with the maui food innovation there Mm. Now, take some of your vegetables. What can I do with this vegetable? Maybe I can do this. I can do this. And so I went to go to Maui Food Innovation and I talked to Chris. I don't know if you know Chris is fear there. He's, yeah. he's the instructor. He, so he said to me, man, Rick, um, you know, I would love to something like that happen. He admitted that they're not doing a very good job promoting what they're doing at that class. I says, because I said, you know, there's got to be more than just people selling their their vegetable in a farmer's market i said and the, this idea came up to me because i have a friend in the philippines who wants because he see all these pictures of me in in the farming industry right so he said rick when i get to farm my land you know what's the first thing i'm going to do he was like but i'm going to hire me the best food engineer in the philippines and we're going to figure out everything we can do with our vegetables that's coming out of there i got like Oh, wow, what a great concept. No, you don't understand. I said, I don't want to be just selling vegetables. I want the vegetables to be providing me something else than just, you know, being cooked. Yeah. And that's the reason why I went to the, the food innovation. So I talked to Chris. And so so he shared this great story with me. I don't know if people know of this. This is a lady that was at that class. Um, she had um, an energy bar called B, B Row Bar or something. I can't remember, but I got all my notes. So, so she had this and she was selling it and everybody liked it. When she tried to produce it, she couldn't do it because there's, there's no manufacturing here on, on Maui. Yeah. So she took her idea to California. She's now providing this energy bar to eight states in California. And Chris told me, Rick, that energy bar, you know, started right here. There's a photo right there. And he showed it to me and said, Rick, this is the kind of things that I hope you can help us with. We need to promote this. We need to get people to be thinking the entrepreneurship that you were thinking about. I think yeah, that's what I love to do. That, you, you want diversification? Entrepreneurship. You know, yeah. Garrett Marrero, entrepreneurship. You know, Go Cheese Farm, entrepreneurship. Those are the kind of things that we need to do. And we have some of the brightest kids up here, right here on our island. But guess what? Because they don't, because all they see is the hotel industry, they go somewhere else. They become successful somewhere else. Another brain drain. Mm. You know, when I'm when I'm interviewing some of these kids for scholarship, they would say something like, "Well, when I graduate from college, you know, I want to return to Maui to do this, to do that, to do that, blah blah blah." This right? And I'm smiling. I'm laughing inside because what once they're done in college, they see the experience there. Probably they like it better. And then they look at what it's like to live on Maui now, at the, coming up from their pocket, and they go like. Holy smokes, I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So so no, no, this so before we start doing all of this, I I think the only way we could get back to to moving what I whatever ideas we have, any vision that we have with, you know, how to help our unsheltered population, how to, you know, to diversify our economy, what to to do with our education, it needs to go back into reopening our island to our visitor and welcoming them you know the other thing jason that i'm so concerned of is that because you know right now it is a very um it's dangerous 
it's very sensitive. People kind of like are afraid of it, that if something ever happens, you know, some of our people start some, you know, showing hate towards our visitors to a point like what happened on Oahu where they started throwing rocks at, you know, the yeah. car rentals and all of that. And if that happens, hey, it just, we're just gonna, it's just gonna keep getting worse. And now, so. I, I wanna have a little bit of a, I wanna dig a little deeper and maybe push back to, to yeah. a certain degree or, or at least get your thoughts on something. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about the visitor industry and I'm, I'm conflicted myself. You know, I, I take the, the COVID-19 pandemic very seriously. I think uh, a lot of the travel restrictions were, were a pretty good idea. I, I think improvements need to be made to the travel restrictions before they, they could be lifted. You know, we need to, to change them instead of lifting them is, yeah. is more what I'm thinking. Um, and, you know, an inter-island testing plan, I think, is a good starting point. The state's looking at that. But what I want to get at is, do you think any of the criticism of the visitor industry is valid? You know, I think um, what we're seeing now, that pushback, people throwing stones and whatnot, is because for years, even before COVID-19, before visitors were, were potentially bringing a deadly virus, there were some pretty real criticisms of the visitor industry. And I think those criticisms could largely be summed up by saying that people thought the, the businesses that are in charge of the visitor industry were not good stewards of our economy, that, that we put all of our eggs in one basket and that's why we're in this boat. So why put our eggs in that basket again? Do you think any of the criticisms are valid? And do you think any changes to, to how our visitor industry functions or operates on Maui should be put into place? Yes, I, I think um, the criticism is valid. And this is something that I have shared with the Maui Visitors Bureau. Um, a lot of it they're criticizing because um, through lack of information and perhaps educating the, the people, um, because there is this this idea, you no, know, there is this mentality by some of the people that they feel that the only people that are benefiting from our visitor are the people that works directly at the hotel. That's the mentality. Now, the other thing, of course, that um, you know, I have said all along is that perhaps now that we do not have that many visitors, we need to do a reset. We need to do a reset on how you know we will we'll welcome this visitor, and it starts by educating them as well. To what yeah. the island is all about, the you know the our culture, our environment, how you know some of it are just it's, it's just so um you know it, it, it need to our our environment it need to be respected like they would do back home, you yeah. know which we hope they do, and those are the kind of things maybe set as something like an in-flight video that talks about the what, about Hawaii, what it's what is the Aloha spirit, what, what it's all about. And you know, this in-flight video of course will talk about part of the coronavirus and, and protecting them. And I, I think those, those are the, the whole key into to bring them back to the island as we welcome them. Um, but it, it's they need to learn about what's ha what's happening here. What as a guest, you know, what we expect from our guest. You know, yeah. because um and look, I tell people, you know, okay, you sing at the hotel, but look at it this way. You're walking into someone's home and you basically told the homeowner, oh, you, your couch will be a lot nicer if you put it here. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> and you don't go to someone's home and just leave your trash right there on the couch. Yeah. You know, little things like that, I, I think, you know, um, 
overall, I believe tourists, our visitors are, um, you know, I, I, and I avoid using the word tourist. They're our guests, they're our visitors. Um, overall, I believe that um, they're very mindful of what, what's going on, but you will have the certain few that just would do it and they're, they're the one that just kind of like make the whole thing just, you know, magnify everything that's bad in the visitor industry. Um, so, yeah, in, in fact, I was kind of like uh, joking, but I, I think there, there, there is a lot of, um, you know, um, wait to, to what I, when I say this is that, wouldn't it be nice that when our visitor, the visitor starts to start to arrive again, this time, instead of giving them flowers, we give them mask that says Maui on it. <laughs> With the, every island has their own mask, yeah. and it says Maui with the with the with the pink color and the and the rose or whatever. Anyway, just just to have Maui, give it to them. You know, it's 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 a, a form of a nice welcome. You know, just protecting yourself by everyone. I mean, can you imagine everybody's taking a selfie with their with their Maui mask on as they arrive at the airport? <laughs> just the little things yeah. like that. I, I think we need to make it something different, make it fun. Let them know that you're very welcome here, but please be safe. You know, <laughs> I, I think those are the, uh, the the things that we really need to do. But but going back to to um, educating the people, the local people here, I believe it's there's still people there that truly do not understand the impact on what the visitor industry, not only to the economy of, of the entire state, but also to a lot of the nonprofit organization that this nonprofit organizations are actually getting the fundings a lot from the visitor industry. And those are the type of things that I, I've been sharing with them. It's like, these are the kind of things that, you know, most people like you and I would know about, but there are other people out there that, oh yeah, they're here again, you know? They only like charge these people, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. We don't see nothing from it, not realizing that their truck driver friend who delivers at the, the hotel is actually has a job because of the visitor industry. And as I tell to, I told the people, look, when the hotel shut down, some of the farmers up country, they couldn't get rid of their, their produce because, you know, there's no consumer. Yeah. And so all of the, everything, like I said, you know, they say that what 80, 90% of the people are impacted by the, 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 the visitor industry. I said, everybody's impacted by it. Everybody, Absolutely. I said, look, I said, my son-in-law is with the Maui Police Department. Maybe he's not impacted because he's still working, you know, 40 hours a week. My daughter is working for the hotel. Her hours has been cut. So now as a family, their budget has changed. So everybody is being affected by it one way or another because also that, um, that food truck out in the corner that sells all this local food, well, guess what? The local consumer are not getting paid. They're not gonna go to that, you know, to that local um, food truck. You guys are saying, oh, we should have more local, you know, local restaurants. Who's going to go to the local restaurant if the local people are not working? Yeah. You know, we, we need to we need to think this, you know, as a as a as one. We're all together in it as one. We live on an island. We're all in it together. Right? You can't, you know, you can't um deny it that we're all here together. So the best thing that we can do is just we support, we help each other. And we said, you know, instead of always complaining about, you know what Governor Ige is doing, about what, you know, Mayor Victorino is doing. If you're so smart, say something that might be, you know, <laughs> that might yeah. be helpful. Complaining about their decision-making, it will not solve our problem. 
you know, it's so some... much easier to be a critic though. It's yeah. just so much easier to sit back and wait for somebody to come up with a plan and then just criticize that plan for fake points on the internet yeah. instead of coming up with an idea or, or doing yeah. something. Yeah. Oh, exactly. As something was said to me in, in my Facebook is that, you know, you, you're, you're thinking politics. I'm telling you, I'm talking reality. I'm like, I'm telling you reality. Reality is that, yes, it's very dangerous, Reality is that in order for us to 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 start um, doing something again, we need to slowly reopen the economy. I don't see that as being politics. Those are the things that we really need to do. Or maybe your reality is to just hunker down and just wait. Wait, wait for what? Yeah, for what? That's exactly the question. What, what are we waiting for? The vaccine, um, you know, could be here next year, two years. We don't know that. Plus, have you met Americans? Have, have you been on Facebook? We are a crazy people now. We have gotten so crazy as, oh as a country. God. Like I, you know, even if we had a vaccine that was like proven 100% safe, you know, everybody can get it and it protects everybody. You're still going to have a solid, I'm going to be very generous and say only 30% of our population that would think it's, it's, you know, some hoax dreamt up by liberals or whatever who don't want to want to go near the vaccine americans we lost any respect or regard for expertise or science so even if we get a vaccine i don't have enough faith in in my fellow country people to <laughs> to say that that vaccine will be effective and then we have that that nightmare issue of you know there's like 358 million americans something like that yeah um so so how are we going to mass produce this to get what do you need for it's, yeah no you you so you it is very very frustrating and i said to people you know this is this is definitely you know unprecedented is even um is a it's a I don't even know if that's even enough to do to define where we are. <laughs> it's an right understatement. Now. Yeah, it's an understatement where we are right now. But to to think that we can just sit around and wait for that unemployment check, go to the beach, what watch watch everything just kind of like basically um, be shut down. It's insane. I mean, the the danger, like you said, you know, no matter what you do, I mean, the, the danger is always there. I mean, I could be sitting here, this 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 light could come off <laughs> of my head, <laughs> and there, and there there I go. But it's it's you know, we but we take the best precaution that we can. What we, I want to see though is is from those people. If if you're one of those folks that doesn't want to open, doesn't want to change anything, if you're in that category where it's just hunker down and wait for this all to go away. That's fine, but I asked the question, what are you doing to, to make that more of a viable option? You know, have you started gardening uh, and growing your own food in your yard? Because if, if you don't want people coming in, if you don't want businesses opening up again, um, what are you doing to reduce the burden that you have on the island yourself? You know, are you growing food? If you're not growing food, are you, are you buying from those farmers that, that you want to support or are you buying from Costco? I gotta tell you, it must've been months ago now. I started buying a CSA box. I think it's from Okoa Farms. I pick it up at, at the Queen Kahumanu Mall uh -huh. every Friday morning. It's $40, fresh vegetables. I'm not exactly sure what I'm gonna get each time I go, but that's kind of fun because it, it makes me figure out new recipes and, yeah. and I'm supporting local farms um, way better than the produce that you get at Costco. 
Mm-hmm. I end up spending a lot less money on groceries because you know, when you go to Costco for peppers or cucumbers yeah, or true. something like that, you, you know, you got a 50, 50 <laughs> shot if they might be rotten yeah. and you're going to end up spending $300 on something else. Like, like <laughs> somehow you go through Costco and, and you end up spending, you know, maybe 300 is, is a lot, but, but like a hundred dollars at Costco happens really easily. Yeah. Um, no, you're right. I haven't been to Costco in weeks, you know, get the box of vegetables, you pick up a, you know, something small here and there if you need it to supplement your, your diet. But, you know, we need to be taking proactive steps along with our criticisms. You want to support local, then actually support local. Um, I, I made a point, I'm not ordering any stuff off of Amazon anymore. Mm. You know, I, I had to, to buy a sewing machine. I ended up waiting for Maui Fabric to, to get the sewing machine I wanted oh, back in stock. Yeah. And I bought it from them for a little more money than I would have paid buying it from the mainland yeah. and getting it shipped over here. But it's worth it because that's, that's what it means to, to put your money where your mouth is. You know, exactly. actually support local businesses. Yeah. And now it's, it's so much more important than ever before to, to really be doing that. Oh, yeah, definitely. And that, that's kind of like... Um... <laughs> I spend a lot more money than probably I should with our signs because um, Pam <laughs> recommended e-design over here. And so this is where I've been getting my, my signage right here locally, where I could have gotten it probably cheaper from the mainland. But I was like, you know what? I'm, as the um, chairman of the board of the Maui Chamber of Commerce, I think it's only fair that I should be <laughs> using it here. You know, it, it, it is some, and you might as well have your, your money circulate right here on the island. Yeah. So, so you're right. You're so, you're so right about that. And um, yeah, so... It's um, it, it's gonna get, it's gonna, I, I, like I said, it's gonna get tougher. It is gonna get tougher. Um, right now, was that October first? They were saying, and now it's gonna move, and yeah. we don't really even really know when it's gonna, it's going to to um open the door. But in the meantime, I think what we need to to continue to do is just be, you know, be mindful of each other and continue to you know to help one another. I, I think that's the best that we can do right now, and and stop being the um, on the sideline and just screaming at every little decision being made that you do not agree on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, vote, get out there, vote, support the candidates that you believe in. Mm-hmm. Um, now I want to, um, I, I, I'm loving this, man. I could talk to you for hours, but well, well, let's, right. uh, I got to wrap it up at a certain point. So let's, let's do some questions. Let's, let's get to those closing questions. Okay. Um, and you feel free to, to throw in whatever else you want, but, but let's start off with the first question. What book would you recommend? Yeah, um, I said The Alchemist would be the book that I recommend. Not only it's a very easy read. Um, I, I kind of like enjoy that because um, it's something because again of my passion in working with the youth, it's something that I, I feel that if they really take it to heart, that it could actually change their outlook and how things are, and that they themselves can only make can also make a difference. So it's I guess I'm using it kind of like to to empower someone. Yeah, that's the reason why I I like that. It's like, you know what, you can be whoever you want to be to a certain degree. But you know what you can be, you know, and I I, I like I always like that, that, you know, when when um, again, going back to when I was studying kids, when you see that, that they catch on something, it's just amazing. It's one of those moments that you go like, I really did that something that we take for granted, but something that maybe another person know nothing about. And the light comes on and they go like, oh, wow. You know, thank you, Mr. Nova. And it's just like, to me, that, that's, that's the best. I was, I was looking around, I had a notebook that I also have a notebook that, I, that has all these little um, 
coach saying, you know, be, be happy, smile and change some, you know, all right. And whenever I, I, I see someone, because I still use notebook and pen. Oh, yeah. And, and whenever, at least whenever I'm in the Philippines, I always have a, a nice pen that I always carry with me. And then when I see someone that I kind of like really like and I admire what they're sharing with me, I give them my pen and I just say, thank you. And they look at it and I'm like, huh, you're giving me your pen? <laughs> it's those little things. I, I, I like doing that. And you, yeah. I mean, and by doing those little gestures, you, you change people's lives. I mean, people recognize that. No, I, um, I, I, I guess I, I do because um, one of the gentlemen that I gave a pen to, I mean, he didn't know I was going to be there. And he had the pen in his pocket. And we, when we were talking and then, um, and then he, he said, I said, oh, can, can I, I say something um, about Mr. Nava? I was like, I was like oh, oh, hi, we're talking. Um, Mr. Nava, um, thank you for, you know, for giving me this pen. I was going like, oh, you're very welcome. And then they look at me, you gave him a pen. Well, what about us? You <laughs> 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 just got me in trouble. <laughs> But no, you, you know, I, I, that's, that's kind of like my, my thing. That's my, I like that book. Um, it's easy to read. It's very inspiring. And more so, I like it because, you know, as a gift for others to, to read. So. And yeah. books to me is the best gift to give to, to anyone. You know, um, and that's, a, that's a good pick. I, um, I remember the first time I read that, I must have been around 16 years old. And it was one of the first books to really grab me to the point where, like, I stayed up all night just reading it like I just yeah. didn't put it down yeah um and and before then I had books that I liked but but there's something about The Alchemist I think it's because it really follows that hero's journey that, yeah. that we're we're so programmed for you know that call to adventure that and it, and it encourages people to to follow their dreams I mean yeah. it very literally is the 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 story is to follow your dreams um, oh, yeah, I love it it's 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 crazy because you know the the other person and I'm waiting for to 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 for him to bring um to for his another book is Khalid Hosseini, the kite runner. Oh, you know I don't know if you 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 I mean because I love history I I love you know I, I mean you know I I I honestly I used to read a lot about Afghanistan before it's Afghanistan. Mm. Because I just, I'm enchanted by all these things that's happening, you know, in that part of the world, Greece and all of that. And in fact, um, I kind of like got in, in trouble because I was in the military when we were deployed to go to, to, um, to Iraq and Afghanistan. And my comment to, to some of my guys back then was like, who are we to go to Afghanistan and tell the people there to live the life to, like we do as Americans? Yeah. They have been in existence long before America was even born. Oh yeah, they've been marrying their children, kids at fourteen years old since since back 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 way way back then. And now we're gonna go there. Says we want you to stop doing this. We want you to have a democratic form of government. And by the way, we want this guy to be your president. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seriously. And but I've always been. Um, I don't know. I I, I like this. It, it teaches me, I guess, to to what what we are here. To you know, if we know what happened, um, absolutely. I mean, any anybody that studied history, um, that that knows any of the history of Afghanistan, knows that nobody ever wins a land war in <laughs> Afghanistan. Like that's that's just it goes back 
I think before Alexander the Great. Alexander yeah. the Great couldn't that's, even conquer Afghanistan. No, that's, you know, this is this is quite amazing. And that's when when I tell people about Afghanistan, what do you know about Afghanistan? It's like I don't know, but I've been I've read a lot of books, not just Afghanistan, but everything that's in that area. I said, did you know that Afghanistan at one time it was such a beautiful, pristine, it's all full of garden that you could walk from one part of Afghanistan to another part of Afghanistan safely. <laughs> welcomed by the people you know i mean i tell them, i said i said i know exactly where i was in 1978 when russia invaded Afghanistan. <laughs> and they go like are you that crazy i was like i said i don't know but i'm telling you man it's just like there's something to be said about knowing what what you know the history yeah in fact um i when i was in korea i i um we met some of these um, Russian people that were there because I guess coming from Vladivostok, they were coming into Korea. So we, we got to talking. It was interesting because um, I said, you know, we know about uh, Miles Davis because we love jazz music. I said, but you, the problem with you Americans is that you guys always live for the moment. You do not know what's in the past and you do not know anything else about other countries other than your country. Yeah, said, that's pretty much it. Yeah, it was like, we know, I said, we know Michael Jordan, not because, you know, we want to know Michael Jordan, but because we, we want to know what's going on outside of Russia. You, you're you probably guys- aware of this, but one of, you know, speaking to, to Russians, they found out that um, one of America's greatest advantages during the Cold War was the fact that Americans never knew their own regulations. <laughs> so, so they were never doing things the way that they were supposed to. Then, so the Russians were like, following along what the American regulations were. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're, the, we, we're the least traveled people in the world. Yeah. I read that only over 95% of Americans do not have a passport. It's Maybe scary. more so now because now they need a passport to go to Canada or to Mexico because yeah. you know, to them a, a, for, a foreign country would be coming to Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. So. To a lot of people, that's about as far as they go. All right, next question. Who do you admire and why? You know, um, Gandhi would be, I believe, the person. There's another gentleman also, um, Jose Rizal, who is similar to Gandhi when, you know, he, um, what, what do you call it, um, with the, um, the Spanish taking over the Philippines. Mm. But I just feel that um, Gandhi, for what he did, what he accomplished for being the man that, that he was. And I, I've always believed that, you know, you could attract, you accomplish a lot more with being peaceful, with, you know, being loving, no matter how they treat you, you know, Jesus Christ, of course, you know, and all of that. But, you know, with Gandhi to, to, to go through and lead the people, you know, against this power that was just basically suppressing them and just says, we can do this. It's, I guess it's always about, a lot of times I'm, I'm looking at this, this leadership role, you know, you know, do I want to be a leader like Gandhi or do I want to be a leader like Mao Zedong? Or do I want to be a leader like Winston Churchill? Or do I want to be a leader like George Patton? How, how, mm. how can I put all of this together? You know, but um, I, I, I try myself to be calm at all times, but to be able to, to do that, or even, or even Mandela, you know, to be, to be jailed all this year and come out without any bitterness out of your heart, but to, yeah. to, to do it in a manner that, no, it's okay, it's okay. We can still move on together. I mean, how powerful is that? <laughs> you know? That's the most powerful. You know? I mean, th- those are the messages that, that carry through history. Yeah, and, and those are the kind of things that, so I, I guess there's, there's a whole bunch of them out there, but those are the ones that I really like to, would love to someday be able to be given that opportunity to just say, you know what? Okay, maybe you did wrong, but 
it's okay. I don't see it that way. We learn from it together. Mm. Now we have, you know, we have a mission to do. You know, let's work together because I know that I can do something, but with you, we can do better things together. So that's kind of like, I guess, how I, I, I see it. And that's the reason why with my employees, I know what they can do. I trust in them that I know that without them, I would have a company. And so I, I give them the, um, you know, the ability to be who they are, knowingly that they are held accountable. So I give them that respect. And I, I think that's, that's, how, that's how you get things done better, true respect love and just you know empowering the people and giving giving them trust absolutely yeah it's way better than just yelling at everybody oh yeah no i I, mean i personally like to yell at everybody just to keep them on their toes but you know i'm not in charge i'm just you know co-workers so that's why i take that even even i was when i was in the military when i was in charge of a a certain group yeah i I actually what i used to used to laugh at me because um, i always put the, the lowest ranking person to be in charge of the show (laughs) <laughs> like look at each other and said hey you know one day you're going to be in this chair and you, you might as well take advantage of it now and they were going to like what the hell are you doing man? but but we, you can do that because we're from hawaii yeah <laughs> we, we, even though we had that military uniform but first and foremost was that we were all brothers we're all brothers could like so we could we could talk crap with each other and it was great but now if i but when i had that military and i was in the mainland Hell no. <laughs> mm. So there's a there's a different there's a different approach. It was here in Hawaii because we we knew each other outside our uniform. We all know what we can deliver. We all know what our abilities were, and we're all friends. You know, we could we could talk, you know, we could talk crap about each other, and we would laugh, and it was all good. All right, Rick. Question number three: When have you failed, and what did you learn from it? Oh. Um, I guess my biggest failure that I, you know, and I'm glad that it happened since a very young age is that not listening to my, my mother. My, my dad was already here, you know, in, 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 um, here in Hawaii. And of course, you're the mom, you're a single mom, you know, you're watching over seven kids. So she's like freaking out. So she told me not to go to the river. I don't have a beach in the Philippines, to the river. <laughs> so I said, okay. But, you know, when you're 11 years old, you think you're invincible. You get your friends out there, you'll be good. So I went with my friends anyway. And um, I got swept by the current and ended up in the place I shouldn't be. Thank God there was a bamboo that I could hold on to, to, you know, so people could come and get me. And then, of course, it's such a small town, so everybody heard what happened. And, you know, it's okay to get spanking, whip, or whatever in the Philippines. So that's what I got. And and from then on, it just kind of like made me realize that, you know, my mother will never tell me anything that would hurt me. She was just protecting me. And it is important that I, I listen to her. Even though I thought I was a good swimmer, I wasn't good enough to, you know, to, um, to withstand the current or to prepare myself for that. And that lesson also taught me that, hey, you know what? No matter how good you are, there's always, there's always a little something that could, you know, screw things up for you. You know, yeah. be, be, um, be careful, you know, be cognizant with your surroundings. But... Most of all, just, you know, just be, you know, just be careful, be prepared. And I thought I was prepared, but I wasn't. And my mom knew I wasn't prepared. Yeah. <laughs> That's why she didn't want me to go, to go out there. And that just kind of like, until today, resonated everything. 
you know, to to you know, to listen to your parents, you know, that uh, or to anyone, and, and and listen to them. You know, now that we're adults, we know what is good, which is which is bad. And we, but when you're young, you get you know this is pressure from my friends, and then more so, I was getting jealous that why can't they go? Why can and I can't? Mm. You know, well, I'm not gonna, you know, she's not gonna know. You know, I'm gonna go. So. She found out that, you know, because I almost died, basically. Yeah. And it just kind of like made me realize that, hey, you know, you, you need to be a better listener. And what you're listening, you need to, you know, when you say, yes, you're going to do it, that you are going to do it. If you don't want to do it, then you just said, you know, I could have easily said to my mom, no, I'm going to go to the river. And of course, right then and there, I would have gotten the spanking right there. <laughs> you don't talk to me. You saved way. you a lot of pain. Oh, yeah. Saved you a lot of effort. You know? <laughs> But take, take yeah, the beating, that, learn the lesson early. <laughs> exactly. So that you know, I learned a lot just from just from that one experience. It, it I guess that kind of like changed me as a person. It know? sounds like, like it. It really had, does sound like it. Yeah, I had the most respect for my my mother before that, of course, because because she's basically a mother. That's not, that's a kind of like look at it more like a, not even maybe a mother, maybe more like a babysitter mm. because I didn't have a father, right? But when this happened, and you then saw I, the wisdom. Yeah. And I realized also how much she loved me because she was crying at the same time she was whacking me. <laughs> 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 you know, I realized that, you know what? This woman cares a lot about me. And so that's just kind of like something that is always there in my, you know, until today, that's something that I always um, think of. In a weird way, that is a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Oh, yes. Well, thank you. My pleasure. <laughs> in fact, it was funny when, when I was thinking about that. I was like, oh, yeah, it, it's always there. It's, it's always there. It taught me at a young age, of, you know, how to listen to, you, to listen to your parents. And it taught me at a very young age about, you know, being responsible and also to always be prepared and get yourself better. So, mm. you know, so that's kind of like how I've been carrying it. All right. Two more questions. Where is your happy place? <laughs> My happy place basically would be with my grandchildren, just just being with them and just kind of like hanging out with the two of them. I wish I could hang out with the three, just being with the family. Yeah, I think being with my two grandchildren here would be the best because they're just they just make me forget about all the things that I'm I'm dealing with, the anxiety that I'm going through, the campaign that I'm going through right now. When I get home and and you know the little one, the three year old one would say, "Papa, you're home." Can we go outside? And then I'd go walk around the neighborhood with his scooter. And just, just to listen to, to them. And I, I, I think, you know, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, makes me realize that really life is very simple, but it's I'm the one that's making it complicated. <laughs> you know? That's a great lesson, too. Yeah. yeah. Everything. There's, there's always a, you know, we can learn from everyone. And I'm learning so much from my grandchildren about, you know, just being so patient. And so when I'm, when I'm at home, you know, sometimes I even forget, you know, my wife because I'm with the two boys, you know, but that to me, you know, just being with the family, it's just, it's, it's so inspiring, but at the same token, it just takes a lot of weight off my shoulder. Yeah. And finally, what one piece of advice would you give to anyone listening? Well, do good. I guess, you know, that would be the easiest way, I guess, you know, I've always said that, you know, you treat the, the you know, the next person the way you want to be treated. You know, that's, that's the one that I think is the, the, the easy way to do it. I, I think um, a lot of times, like I said, we make things so much more complicated. We get so caught up ourselves, right? And it's always about us 
not realizing that that person you're talking to might all, might actually have even a harder day than what I had. So because we, we, we don't know, you know, yeah. smile on someone's shoe and see how it feels. Do you know? good. Be kind. Be, I like I think it. That to me, I mean, I said some other things, but I think that I'm thinking about it, that, that's, that's about it because, you that know, I think, you know, uh, yeah, it sums up everything. I'll tell you, Jason, the, um, that's why the, the traveling, if we can go back there in a happy place and all of that, you know, I wish I could bring kids with me to mm. see how good we have it. And as I had said before, I says, you know, we here in America, we worry about our iPhone, that we don't have the latest iPhone, that it's got a crack, you know. <laughs> yeah, we have no idea. We, we really don't. I, no, that was... That was the, my, my time in Uganda, that was the most important lesson I learned, that, that we are so spoiled. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're blessed to the point of being spoiled here. Yeah. And yeah. we really don't understand that for, for probably a majority of the world, where they're going to get potable water yeah. is a real big concern yeah. on a daily basis. You know, the, the level of work that, it, that goes into just getting water. You know, like, did, did you have to fetch water as a kid? Yeah. Did they oh, have yeah. a borehole? Yeah. So, so like, also, Americans no. never, they, no. we have no idea. It's so difficult to fetch your own water and then to, like, bucket bathe and stuff like that. And yeah. just, I remember, so I was a teacher in, in a village, and um, I would have students not show up. And somebody would tell me, oh, they die. Like, what? And, and it was just... It was just a fact of life. Our mortality yeah. and how fragile our lives are was just a fact. And, and here, we're so separated from the most basic of human functions, birth and death, yeah. that, that they don't even factor into to our day-to-day -day lives. But there, it's, it's a part of everything. Yeah, um, yeah I, I wish Americans, um, I, I wish we had more perspective. And I think travel and sharing your stories of travel oh, are, are so important. Yeah. No, it is. You know, um, yesterday on my Facebook, this lady, um, Emily Laborte, she was um, Miss Hawaii Filipina. I took her to the Philippines with me. Like, I don't believe it. It's three years ago. And, you know, when you post something in Facebook, a year later, it shows up, right? Yeah. So it, it shows up again. And, and she wrote there, she shared it and says, thank you. This experience impacted my life the most. When she saw kids, you know, from getting water, Kids yep. without school supplies, kids without slippers, things that we don't even see it because we've never, well, that they've never seen it. Um, um, but you know, you being in, in Uganda and seeing all those places, it just kind of like again gives us that sense of appreciation of all that we have. You know, I just want to share something with you about Uganda because there was this um, this lady that um, won the award when I was in Australia for being the kind of like a, a project that she did. Um, what happened was that. She was in Uganda, and she saw all these this kids playing. But most of them were, were girls. And so mm. where are the boys? They're in school. So they're going like, why are not the girls are not in school? Say, oh, no, they don't need to go to school, just the boys. And she said, well, that's wrong. I goes like, well, that's how it is. She said, no, that's not how it is. That's wrong. So anyway, they, this girl went back to Australia, and she asked the Rotary Club of Melbourne, Australia, that... Um, she wants to build a school for the girls. And so they said, where? In Uganda. You want to build a school for the girls in Uganda? I says, yes. I said, what, you know, how can we help you? So she told them. So they said, okay, we'll travel with you. We'll see where, where, you know, where we build the school. So they went. And so they told the girl that says, okay, if you want to build a school, let's not build it in Uganda. 
because um, you know, I guess there was still the, all this um, infighting or whatever was going mm, on. Yeah. Let's build it. Let's build it in Kenya, or we can still bring the kids to go to your school. So she built a school for the girls in Kenya, helping the girls in Uganda. That's awesome. You know, those are the kind of things that just inspires me when you know to do things. I mean, I do a, I do a lot of things also to help with our youth here, with our elders here on Maui. But you being in a third world country, you see how powerful it is with that, you know, I mean, just hearing them say thank you and that smile. Yeah. And when their yeah. parents comes up to you and they, they tell you, you know, how you've changed their attitude or something like that. Because in those parts of the country, they listen more to the teachers, to, uh, to the strangers, even here, <laughs> than to yeah. their parents. It's true. And it's, and it's amazing the impact that we can do. And so it's, it's just, yeah. So do good to everyone. We gotta do good for everyone. Rick, thank you so much for, for giving us the time. Thank you so much for, for giving just Maui the time, man. You, you are a real inspiration. Um, I, I met you a little over a year ago, I guess, at the, the HSAC conference. I liked you, man. Every time I've gotten the opportunity to talk to you, it's, it's just more and more enjoyable. Um, and, and I just, I'm thankful for all the work that you do on Maui. I mean, we didn't even get into to your work with Rotary and, and Chamber of Commerce and the Police Commission. I mean, there's so much that, that we could talk about. Um, and and I, I'll, hopefully I'll have you back on at some point oh, soon. My, but my, uh, but you're, you're just, you're an awesome guy. You're an awesome guy. You. And, well, and I, uh, I want people to know that. I, I want, what's your website? Where, where can people go and donate um, to your campaign? RickNava.com. RickNava.com or VoteRickNava.com? Yeah. Yeah, I'll yeah. link to that in the um, in the notes for the podcast. Okay. Um, man, you're you're doing great stuff. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, hopefully, um, again, I'm working really hard, and hopefully, we I'll get elected this time in the Maui County Council because I just feel like, you know, there's I know everybody has something to to offer, but um, I, I just feel that there's more to be done so that we can serve everyone here in the county of Maui, and, and I'm determined to do that and just continue doing good. <laughs> I like it. VoteRickNava.com. Yeah. All right. All right. And the recording. All right. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Rick.